Well, good evening, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. How are you, my friends? Boy, I guess it's been quite a while since we've had a little old chit-chat about COVID. So here we are. Here we are. This is our good old friendly Johns Hopkins G, um, GIS map, I suppose. COVID-19 dashboard by the Center for Systems Science and Engineering. Turn on the camera. <laughs> well, I can't help but turn off the camera. Turn on the camera. I'm that hot. What can I tell you? Actually, it's kind of hot in here. <laughs> but don't worry, I don't have a fever. It's just just a little warm. So, yeah, good evening, everybody. Nice to chat with you guys, and uh, welcome to... I guess the first, it's funny, you know, because I'd actually decided to do this update, and then Trump decided to do his update, so he, he scooped me a tiny little bit, but uh, that's all right. We will uh, look forward to getting together and talking about this. I guess before I dive in, big question I always have is, uh, well, um, how are you guys doing? Let me bring up the old chatty chat here. And uh, find out how you guys are doing, because uh, in some ways you are certainly the brains of the outfit, as far as that goes. So, I'm doing well. I'm doing well, thank you. Who let the Stefan Molyneux out? Woof, 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 woof. Mm, I'm sorry, that joke needs to be retired. That is uh, that is too old. Yeah, he's back. Hi from Houston again. Hello, back. Carpet bomber of truth. Where you been, Stefbot? You know, it's kind of funny. When you get unpersoned from a variety of social media uh, outlet says I have been unpersoned from, well, do we even need to go through the list? Um, you you kind of have some Jim Morrison-style backdoor man work to do. So I had a bunch of stuff to get done. And uh, for those of you who want to know, the IQ interviews are back up, fdrurl.com forward slash IQ. You're doing great from Texas. Portland is on fire. Yeah. Did you see a Twitter banned QAnon? Yeah, there's been a whole lot of suppression lately. Um, the Gateway Pundit has been delisted from Google, from what I've heard, as well as uh, Alex Jones and a bunch of other people. And, uh, yeah, Twitter banned QAnon. I don't know, man. They are going all in when it comes to Biden. This is a uh, full tilt boogie, man. Full tilt boogie. Great injustice done to you, Steph. You didn't deserve it. No, that's true. I didn't. But... Um, uh, if if uh, if we were all philosophical, life would have a whole lot more to do with deser- uh, with uh, deserving things. Can't wait for this Corona update. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. But um, great to see you, Anthony. Nice to see you as well. Welcome back. Lockdown is mind control. Well, you got to see what's been going on in Sweden. Uh, Sweden seems to have uh, achieved. I mean, kind of hurt like people to begin with, but they've achieved a bit of herd immunity with all of that. Good evening from Montana. Um, you really missed me? I missed you guys too. Hi from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, sorry, Melbourne. Melbourne. You gotta cut that, slice that thing off at the end. Yeah, Pelosi out of control. Yeah, referring to the federal agents as stormtroopers. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not good. You're watching from Australia. Happy to keep up the broadcasting. Thank you. Repost story of your enslavement to Bitshoot. Uh, I will. And. Don't sweat it, Steph, says Jenny. Wherever you go, we follow. Oh, now I got that Genesis song stuck in my head. I only check YouTube when I'm in the mood for history documentaries and whatnot. Howdy from California. Hello, back. Is there certainty in science? Yes, there really, really is certainty in science. Otherwise, we would not be able to have this conversation. 
Is there a way to watch your DLive videos later? Yes, there is. I will be putting this, of course, in... Um, uh, I will be putting this in uh, BitChute and Library and other places, uh, so on. Welcome back, Steph, watching you from North Island of New Zealand. Do you support forced masks in Canada? I have never in any way, shape, or form supported forced government anything. So, uh, yeah, no, I don't support forced masks in Canada. This is such an unprecedented situation that it's really hard to know what to do. We're going to talk about that tonight. Representing from Sydney, Australia. Well, hello, Mo. Nice to see you there. Cuck. Boy, if I had a dollar for every time somebody called me a cuck or a cowardice. It always seems to be the people who don't use their own names who seem to have big troubles with my courage. Kind of funny, right? What's the best alt tech platform? Well, there's lots of um, lots of stuff that's uh, good out there. You can go to freedomain.com forward slash connect for more on this. You are looking good tonight, Steph. You must be getting some good sleep. Yes, yes. Um, you know, it's funny. This is kind of just a funny thing about, about parenting. So you don't really plan to have these great conversations with your kids, but it just kind of pops up sometimes out of nowhere. Uh, last night, uh, I... Um, I've, I guess I lost about 12 pounds or whatever, like uh, just uh, um, uh, for a variety of reasons. And anyway, so I go to bed. Sometimes I wake up hungry. It kind of happens when you're cutting back on calories, right? So I woke up hungry. Uh, I went downstairs and my daughter happened to be awake, came downstairs and we chatted for like an hour. And she asked me the question, Dad, what happens when the government runs out of money? Well, that's quite a big, quite a big topic there, honey. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it is... Uh, uh, it is uh, just lovely stuff. So, yeah, having getting some pretty good sleep, uh, all of that. So, uh, let's see here. Um, what else do we have? You look happy today. You know, life is full of transitions. Life is full of changes. And I'm in the midst of a big transition. And we'll see how this plays out. I'm always looking for the upside to the downside, if that makes any kind of sense. And so I'm always curious what good things can come out of what appear to be bad uh, situations and all that. So let's see, are you looking into expanding your reach on other platforms? I'm actually looking at expanding my reach into your eyeballs. Um, well, um, I think I have kind of a plan at the moment to not get involved in platforms where I don't know people because that kind of anonymous stuff. Because here's the thing, right? So, I mean, I'm sure you know this. I'm actually a very nice person, care for the world and so on. But if you only read bad things about me, it's easy to kind of caricature me and, and turn me into something I'm not and so on. So it's kind of nice when I actually have a relationship with at least one person somewhere, somehow on that uh, platform. So we'll see here. Masks will be enforced by law in Melbourne, Australia tomorrow. Can you show how I can debate the morality of this law? Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. So the, qu the question is always, how would a free society handle this kind of thing, right? How would a free society handle this kind of thing? So In a free society, how, how would you handle a pandemic, right? This is a very important question. Well, uh, first of all, 
the way that the pandemic comes from China, given that there's not a lot of strong swimmers who can cross the Pacific, um, the, the way that the pandemic comes from China, say, is uh, through air, right? Through the air, through the airlines. So um, you would have a deal with airlines that they would be uh, liable for any illnesses that they introduced into the country. It would be actually be quite simple. And none of this corporate bullshit shield, right? Because corpor the corporate fiction, the legal fiction called the corporation is invented so that people can personally profit from corporations without having any personal liabilities for said corporation. So you can pillage all the money you want out of a bank, but if the bank goes bust, you're not, you don't lose your house, right? And that, it didn't used to be that way. Like in the 19th century, if a bank went bust, um, the bank owners, the bank managers or the bank executives would lose their houses, right? They would personally be liable for the losses that they had. So, you know, businesses don't like that. And so they invented this corporate fiction so that they could profit from these uh, legal imaginary friends uh, without actually being liable for anything. So the way it would work in a free society is that the, um, the airlines would be responsible for making sure that no pandemics reach the shore. And that, of course, is not the way that things work in this kind of society. And that's, I mean, one of many possibilities that could be occurring. The other thing, too, of course, is you would simply, um, you would pay people an enormous amount of money to quarantine, right? I mean, you, you maybe put them up in a beautiful hotel and you rent them hookers. Or, you know, just kidding, right? But whatever, right? You would make it as pleasant as humanly possible. So people would be, quote, dying to get into the quarantine program. You would simply make it as attractive as humanly possible for the quarantine to occur, of course, you'd have to still test positive, and I'm sure there'd be a few people who would have quarantine profit parties or something like that. But you would simply work it that way so that you could contain this thing, right? So, like, as we all know, uh, China, uh, if China had fulfilled its treaty obligations, which is the only reason it got into the World Trade Organization, fulfilled its treaty obligations regarding the pandemic, 95% of it would have been mitigated, and it probably would have been fairly easy to chase down the remnants and contain them, and we wouldn't have this issue, right? So uh, that is um, all of that kind of stuff. So, All right, what have we got here? All right. Um, no, solid is solid. It seems to be pretty... Um, Streams uh, seems to be pretty, pretty solid. Somebody says, um, glad to catch you on a new platform. I enjoy your thoughts even when I don't agree. Peaceful parenting has been great for our youngest child. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Uh, I'm very, very glad to hear that. All right, let's, let's dip in. We've got a lot of stuff to, uh, to talk about uh, this evening. So let's, uh, let's get into it. So, boy, we haven't seen this, this one for a while, right? Look at, look at these numbers. Now, I'm not going to get into the validity of the numbers in general. I'm going to get and point out some specific ways in which the numbers are clearly fictional and have been admitted to be fictional. But um, I'm just going to go with the standard numbers, uh, and, and we can quibble about them all we want, and maybe we should, maybe we will. And then I'm going to go into how they are limited in some ways, or false in some ways. But let's just look at these numbers. Boy, I was actually just coming up with the thumbnail for this one, right? So I just let's go back here for a sec here, right? So this coronavirus... And it was next to coronavirus. It just passed 500,000. And that felt like a very, very big deal. Now, of course, we're pushing 15 uh, million, right? 15 million. Worldwide global deaths, 615,364. 
and I want to talk a little bit about these deaths. Now, of course, for those of you who are new to this conversation, uh, uh, please remember, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm perhaps an epistemediologist, (laughs) but um, uh, these are just my outside philosophical thoughts about all of this, Uh, no medical advice, nothing like that, right? No, I'm just going to read some articles and tell you what I think. So the deaths is important. The death rate at the moment seems to be calculated about a 0.5, 0.6%, 0.5, which is five, maybe six times worse than the seasonal flu. Now, that is um, not as bad, of course, as some people. It's, it's highly contagious, but uh, the fatality rate is certainly below 1% according to recent calculations. And of course, nobody knows for sure because nobody knows for sure how many people have actually got COVID, right? Because uh, a lot of people don't go for treatment and so on, right? So looking at these global deaths, people say, ah, yes, but these are people with pre-existing conditions. Well, yes, uh, certainly if you are elderly, if you have a pre-existing condition, uh, particularly one involved with the lungs, uh, you are not going to have much of a fun time with this illness. But here's the thing, just because it seems more likely to negatively affect people with pre-existing conditions doesn't mean that those pre-existing conditions cause the death, right? So if you have, I don't know, whatever it is, diabetes, emphysema, heart disease, or whatever, and bad things happen to you as a result of COVID, that doesn't mean that you died of those things, right? It doesn't mean that you died just of heart disease. If COVID hits you and, you know, I've seen some reports that half of people have some heart damage uh, in certain studies, it doesn't, like the pre-existing condition is not a big magic wand that means that COVID is not dangerous. Uh, So if you can imagine, uh, um, what is a famous um, uh, example of somebody who died in a motorcycle accident and their death was COVID, right? Because I think they tested positive for coronavirus and so on. And so because they had a motorcycle. But here's the thing. Um, If you have, uh, you're driving a motorcycle, you get an epileptic attack and and then you crash. You died of a motorcycle crash but the proximate cause was COVID, right? So if you have heart disease and then you get COVID and you die of COVID because it further damages your heart or something, it doesn't mean that your pre-existing condition caused the death. Now, that having been said, of course, a number of people with those pre-existing conditions will never know how many, some number. Some number of those pre-existing condition people would have died anyway just over the last couple of months, right? I mean, if you've got really bad heart disease, you could have that heart attack or some sort of heart failure situation that could occur just over the course of the last couple of months. So it's complicated when it comes to this kind of stuff. But down here, you know, this is the number that is particularly troubling. And I have been sort of watching this number or this, I guess this chart, you could say, right? So you look at this chart, right? This is the real challenge. Why don't you remember back here in February, was it end of January, I think I called it a pandemic and so on. And then, boy, it just started to t- take off. It's not gone full exponential, right? It's not gone full like death screaming vertical, but uh, it certainly doesn't seem to be flattening out a whole lot. And this, of course, was the plan, right? The plan, as I talked about back in the day, I think it was March, the The plan back in the day was to contain the spread of the virus to the point where the medical system was not going to get overwhelmed. That was the plan. That was the goal. That was the idea. And now we're going on month after month after month, and there's no plan. There's no plan. And I think that's the most fundamental thing that really needs to be be understood, right? There There is no plan. 
I mean, unless you've seen one that I haven't, the plan is, uh, well, uh, lock things down, recognize that's terrible for the economy. It's terrible for people's mental health. It's terrible for, you know, like this elective surgery thing. It's crazy, right? Elective surgery, everyone thinks it's like, oh, they're getting a tummy tuck or they're getting a nose job or a hair transplant from their armpit to their forehead or something, right? No, that's not what elective surgeries are. Elective surgeries are the scheduled surgeries outside of you being dragged into ER, the ER by one half detached arm. That's, that's what that means. So when I had um, uh, lymphoma, I had a lump. You can still see it in my old videos. I had a lump uh, here. Uh, I was kind of misdiagnosed for about a year up here in Canada, finally freaked out, went to the States and got it removed by a great surgeon, the Oklahoma Surgery Center. And that was an elective surgery. Now, if I hadn't been able to get that surgery, I mean, I could be dead, right? I don't just mean social media dead. I mean, actually, six feet under uh, dead. And so that's kind of significant from a healthcare standpoint. So they, they put the lockdown on the economy, right? Shut everything down. And then, you know, people get lonely. They get depressed. They take drugs. They get overdoses. They... Um, they don't get their teeth checked. They don't get their regular checkups. They don't get uh, their x-rays. They don't get their MRIs or fMRIs or anything like that, right? And so then what happens is people say, oh, my gosh, we've got to start up the economy again, right? So then you start up the economy again, and then I think that and partly is the result of the uh, – I never know whether to call them protests or riots. This priots, I guess we'll call them. The priots, uh, you know, or some other thing happens, and then there's a flare-up. And it's like, oh, my gosh, we've got to shut the economy down. And then they shut the economy down, and more surgeries get postponed, more health care gets postponed, more people get depressed, more people get sick, uh, more people uh, take drugs and drink too much, and there's more domestic violence. And then people are like, oh, my gosh, we, <laughs> we can't do this. We've got to open up that. And then they open things up again, and then there's another flip. This is it. That's all. We're just bouncing around like a pinball at, pinball at the moment. Just ding, 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 ding. No plan. No plan whatsoever other than an absolutely ungodly amount of government money printing, borrowing, and, and spending. Like, holy crap. You know, I'm always – I don't know how you guys – process this but i'm always kind of stuck in this protestant way like i'm always kind of half and half with regards to this stuff right so part of me is like okay the way i grew up was uh, i mean when you grow up poor you know you you can't ever unerase or or scrub out your memory your history of how much money means like how horrible it is without it it's like there's this old thing from Dickens, I can't remember for which novel, maybe one of you guys remember, but um, maybe it's David Copperfield, where a guy says, uh, income, 20 pounds a year. Expenses, 19 pounds, 19. Result, happiness. Income, 20 pounds a year. Expenditures, 20 pounds, one shilling a year. year. Result, misery. And that's like, boom! That's like the, that's the great big dividing line. Spend less than you make. Spend less than you make. I'm begging you, my friends. Of course, you probably don't need to hear this from me at the moment, but spend less than you make. Whatever you make, just spend less than it. I mean, I've lived so lean. I remember when I was in university, there was a university paper that would give you two-for-one subway. I do like me a good, a good subway. And you could get a two-for-one subway coupon, 
and you'd go there, you'd order two foot longs with as much as many calories as you could stuff in, you'd cut them in four, and you'd get lunch and dinner for two days for like four bucks or five bucks back in the day, or you could go and get a really nice souvlaki for $2.75. Oh, I mean, I just remember living really lean, really close to the bone. And after I left my software entrepreneurship to work on writing novels, I spent uh, 16 months writing and researching, and I'm going to read those. I've, I've got a little audiobook setup, uh, audiobook reading setup. I'm going to start reading those because I really, really like them. But I was, I mean, I, this is when I met my wife. I was living really close to the bone, like really, really lean, lean, lean. I was just in a little one-bedroom apartment, uh, and uh, um, I hadn't had a new car in forever. And um, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was li- living pretty lean, living pretty lean. And, and so for me, it's like, okay, so there's some significant percentage of, of Americans, I'm sure this is elsewhere true, some significant proportion of Americans they are not at all confident they can make rent or mortgage next month. Now, it's been a couple of months. I was always told, always told, always told, you got to keep six-month savings in the bank. You have to, have to, have to keep six-month savings in the bank because you just never know. And this is exactly what that creepy, half-pedophile John Maynard Keynes was talking about with the sort of Keynesian thing. Oh, when the economy is doing really well, the government should save money. And then when the economy is doing badly, the government should spend money. Of course, they love the spending money. They never get with the savings. But this is exactly why the government should never have had a deficit, should never have a debt, should not have all these unfunded liabilities, because shit like this comes along in life. You know me, I'm sailing along. I've got good health and so on. Like, boom. Oh, dear. Well, you got cancer. Sorry about that. But now you got to do chemo and you got to do radiation. And it's like, that sucks, right? You've got to have some savings. You've got to, got to, got to have some savings. And one of the, I have sort of these two, two minds, of two minds, and I'm kind of tilting more towards one than the other. The two minds are basically this. One, wow, it's really stressful to be without money and be afraid you can't pay your bills and be afraid you can't stay in your house. Like, that's really stressful, right? And another thing is, save your money, for God's sake, save your money. Have some savings. You know, because I think of all the people who are like, oh, I can't pay my bills. I can't pay my bills. Bet you got the latest cell phone. Bet you got the fastest data plan. Bet you got 4,000 channels and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Crave and you name it. I bet you went uh, on spring break. I bet you, you, you took all of that money that you should have been saving for a rainy day and you went and spent it on useless crap that sits in your cupboard. <laughs> a friend of mine once he was a, a, a really, a, a, you know, I'm sorry to be rambling, but this is actually quite, quite focused for me, believe it or not. But he did things that I didn't understand. Loved the guy. He did things that I didn't understand. One of those things was he collected movies, like he would buy movies. I've never understood that. I very rarely watch a movie more than once. And so, I mean, if you're a parent, you watch, you know, Toy Story and Tangled and all that. But he would buy movies and sit them on his shelf and maybe watch one twice every year or two. Like, it just made no sense to me. Like, why, why, why would you buy movies? My, buy music? Yes. Buy movies? Never understood it uh, to save my life. My favorite movie is Room with a View. But anyway, um, so w- at one point, he, he was unemployed for a while. And he, he said, you know, he said, I'm sitting on my couch and I'm staring at this giant wall full of movies, tens of thousands of dollars worth of movies. And he's, you know, and it's like, He's like, I can't remember 
the last time I watched any of them. Tens of thousands of dollars could be sitting in my bank and I have this wall full of crap. And I, I mean, I, I, I told him, stop buying movies. I told him years before, stop buying movies. And now the funny thing is, so he would go out and buy like live concert footage and, you know, and he did, you know, he got some great live concert footage and he would go out. But it's now, all that stuff's on YouTube for free or whatever, right? Or other places if you want to find it there. So please, my friends, just spend less than you make <laughs> result happiness. So for me, it's like, I'm sympathetic. Like, it's tough. You can't pay your bills. It's really stressful. And part of me is like, well, it, I don't mean to say it serves you right, but it's an inevitable consequence of just making bad decisions with your money. You know, going to get useless degrees, not finding ways to add value in the world, not upgrading your skills, buying things that you don't need, buying things that you don't need. Man, you just got to walk through your house, you know, walk through your house with that ruthless cold eye, like you're somebody who just bought this house and there's this stuff in it. What would you want to keep? And then sell it, get rid of it, and don't buy it again. That's... Ugh, it just drives me crazy. But 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 we can't we can't suffer like that in society anymore. It's unthinkable, right? So now the the people who saved money have to pay the taxes for everyone who didn't save the money, so that they didn't run into any particularly problematic finances. It's really uh, it's terrible. You know, punish punish the sensible and reward the not sensible. That's uh, what's going on. All right. So, yeah, globally, more than 14.7 million confirmed cases, over 611,000 associated deaths. The U.S. currently has the highest reported number of confirmed cases with more than 3.8 million. Lack of testing, actual cases may be far higher. 141,000 people in the U.S. have died from the disease and more than 54,000 are currently hospitalized. Now, that... It's interesting because, of course, remember back in the day, the media was saying, oh, Trump's policy is going to lead to millions of deaths. And now that it's 141,000, are they saying he saved millions of people? No, of course, it's just listening to the media talk about Trump is like listening to my mom talk about my dad after their divorce. It's just like, and another thing. So in just two weeks, at least 138,000 people have volunteered to be studied in COVID-19 vaccine trials. The National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases put out a call this month for volunteers to take part in vaccine trials this fall. And at least 120,000 people are needed to take part in four different vaccine trials. So that's good. A study published July 21st in JAMA Internal Medicine found evidence that the number of Americans who've developed COVID-19 may be 10 times higher than the reported number. So the CDC examined samples from over 1,600 people in multiple states to look for signs of COVID-19 antibodies. The percentage of people with COVID-19 antibodies ranged widely from state to state, nearly 7% of people in New York having antibodies, only 1% of people in San Francisco having them. So the, the, this estimate that the actual number of COVID-19 cases is likely 10 times higher than the recorded number, which may be due to people with mild or no symptoms. Now, of course, that's good news for the death rate in a way, right? Because if the numbers are much higher, then that's very, uh, that's very good. That's very Good, indeed. At least 49 Florida hospitals are out of ICU beds, which is not uh, great, of course. Um, And uh, July 17th, there were 75,000 positive COVID-19 tests reported in 24 hours, according to the New York Times. However you want to take that is is up to you. Oklahoma governor has tested positive for COVID-19, so there's a lot of stuff going on. And let me tell you something that I find troubling. I find this very troubling, and I want to know what you guys think of it. Um, 
this is the the chronic issues the chronic issues are i think they have the potential to be a very very big a very very big problem all right hang on just a second yeah i will be able to uh pause that and look at this okay so why many COVID 19 patients may be experiencing chronic fatigue now um i have a history with chronic fatigue not not personally but uh, my mother claimed to have Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue syndrome, and so on. And whether she does, does or doesn't has always been a question for me. Let's, let's put it that way. But this uh, came out a couple days ago uh, from Newsweek. And you can find it in a bunch of other places as well. But people who've been seriously unwell and treated on intensive care units can expect to take some months to recover fully, regardless of their ailment. However, with COVID-19, evidence is mounting that some people who have had relatively mild symptoms at home may also have a prolonged illness. Overwhelming fatigue, palpitations, muscle aches, pins and needles, and many more symptoms are being reported as after effects of the virus. About 10% of the 3.9 million people contributing to the COVID symptom study app have last effects lasting more than four weeks. So chronic fatigue, this is fatigue lasting more than six months, is recognized. Many different clinical settings, cancer treatments, inflammatory arthritis, it can be disabling. So this is a big, uh, it's, a, it's a big issue. And I've heard a couple of percent, up to 5% and so on, of people may have longer uh, issues with regard to this. So, so lasting fatigue can sometimes follow other viral infections. Um, nobody knows exactly why. So it could be an ongoing viral infection in the lung, brain, fat, or other tissue, maybe one mechanism. A prolonged and inappropriate immune response after the infection has been cleared might be another, right? Like your body just keeps, you know, like a punch-drunk fighter who hasn't realized the fight is over and is just punching half in his sleep, right? So that is really quite... right. So the, this is the same pro-inflammatory pro molecules are seen in the cytokine storm of severely Ill, Ill COVID-19 patients, there might be a pattern of immune system activation during the viral infection that is relevant to ongoing symptoms. And that's uh, something that's really, uh, really important to, to recognize. Uh, and there's longer articles you can find about this. You've got to keep an eye on that chronic fatigue stuff. That, is, uh, that can be pretty, uh, pretty brutal. I, I certainly have known people, although I guess the people that I've heard of, I've known actually people personally who've had... Um, Lyme disease, and that's a pretty brutal thing when it comes to energy. Didn't it knock out Avril Levine for like a year? She spent in bed or whatever, right? So um, the chronic fatigue stuff is really tough. Uh, it is it's because it's one of these things where, oh, I feel better, so I'll go exercise. Oh, no, now I have to spend the next two days in bed because I'm out of, uh, I'm out of uh, energy. And let's see. Can I get this? Let's, let's do a little bit more here. Um, you guys have some time tonight, right? Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. Let's do a little bit more here. And um, this is from the uh, Washington Post, something else that I also uh, found to be... Sorry, I can't really read that too well either, right? Can you? No. Well, we'll just look at this picture. So uh, this is... Um, yoki yokes around here. Sorry about that. Uh, too many windows... Just keep passing the open windows. All right. Uh, yes. Okay, fine. I'll let some ads on. Well, all right. 
Okay, there we go. So there, uh, so some people have been sick with coronavirus for more than 60 days. Doctors don't really know why. And that is a big, uh, a big challenge, right? And so those infected with the coronavirus are urged to self-quarantine for 14 days. Symptoms usually last about that long, and a, lot, a majority of people with mild illness recover completely during that time. They're seeing a small percentage who remain sick for many weeks, even months. So little known about the virus, they're unsure whether those symptoms suggest it is still alive in the body and creating continued havoc, or whether it has come and gone, leaving a lingering immune or inflammatory response that makes people continue to feel sick. The bottom line is we just don't know, says Dr. Loring, no, uh, yeah, an infectious disease physician at the University of Michigan. So some people, oh, headaches, scratchy throat, and so on. And then, you know, if you lose your sense of taste and smell, then that's uh, not good. Some people uh, came down with something. One guy came down with something that looked like pink eye. And then um, that was March 15th. And then she says she hasn't had a day when she's felt back to normal. And I think that's because COVID um, or SARS-CoV-2 kind of attacks everything. It, It got this big master key to human cells so it kind of goes for everything and post-viral syndromes have been associated with numerous viruses in the past until the pandemic they were considered relatively rare in the case of COVID-19 researchers are unsure whether people with extended symptoms are simply facing a long recovery or whether their illness will come to resemble, resemble something like myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome a complex illness characterized by profound exhaustion and sleep problems or other conditions that can last for years or a lifetime. Bruce Farber says, COVID is a totally different animal. You see that with very few respiratory diseases, even with influenza, for the most part, you live or die. The virus also involves so many parts of the body, from the brain to the toes. You actually know someone who got COVID toe, that some symptoms may be due to damage to different organs that have not repaired themselves. Patients describe everything from a decrease in lung function to a persistent loss of taste and smell. And some patients with long-tail illnesses are testing positive, then negative, and then positive again for the virus. Many scientists believe the tests are like you're picking up dead virus in studies. It has only been active 9 to 11 days. But a few autopsies have shown the virus lurking in puzzling places like the spleen, creating continuing uncertainty. So uh, this is a big... Uh, it could be it could be a big problem, right? So this one woman, since she got sick, she's been sleeping 14, 18, and sometimes even 22 hours a day. And some people are, yeah, day 59, day 60, and so on. They are still, and it's tough for the people around them because it's like, shouldn't you be better by now? And, and it's all, uh, it, it, it's, people get impatient with this, uh, with this kind of stuff, right? So uh, this is woman Shevo Karashevo on March 7th developed looked like pink eye, 11th a cough, on the 14th diarrhea, on the 15th fever, on the 16th loss of, loss of taste and smell. March 17th, the chest pain started and she fainted, sending her to the hospital where she said doctors confirmed she had COVID-19, but they said go tough it out at home. April brought more gastrointestinal issues, fatigue and muscle aches. In May, she developed a rash on her face and sores all over her mouth. She contacted doctors and they said, yeah, your body took a traumatic hit. It's going to take a while to recover. She's been treated with five rounds of antibiotics, two steroids, and was given an inhaler to help with her breathing. The most difficult part has been the isolation. Now, that's rough. That's rough for people as a whole. 
dealing with this virus at home alone was the scariest thing of my life. She said, I did not see another person for 24 days. And she was a high school athlete, kickboxing, going to the gym every day before COVID. She's barely had enough energy to get out of bed for more than two months. And over the past two weeks, she's been feeling somewhat better, but still not normal. She completed another round of steroids for chest pain and achy joints. Any physical exertion still leaves her exhausted. And uh, again, I'll put links to all of this in the show notes, but uh, this is an issue because, and, and who knows, who knows what on earth is going on, right? Nobody does at the moment, but this is one of the things that uh, I think is really, really important to remember about this uh, beast of a virus that uh, there is, uh, there can be long-term uh, effects that are really problematic. Okay, so there's recently been a, dr a drastic rise in coronavirus infections among young adults in the U.S., People in their 20s, 30s, and 40s represent roughly half of cases in coronavirus hotspots like Arizona and Texas, while people ages 18 to 34 represent more than a third of cases in Florida and California. Now, that's partly, I think, because the weather's getting better and young people obviously want to get out and want to socialize and want to meet girls and meet boys and, and have, go to parties and, and have fun and all that. It's completely understandable. Plus, of course, there were the riots and the protests and so on. But... Um, it is going to be a challenge, not so much, of course, from what I understand for the young people. Mostly, most of them are going to shake it off and so on. But there's always that issue, right? You, you're sick. Uh, you're very a little bit. You think you're better or you're asymptomatic because there are these people called super shedders that just spray this thing off like a garden hose. And what happens then is you go meet someone. They, they're, they're older. They might get sick or they pass it along to grandparents who themselves are going to get sick from it. So it's a, it's a big meaty mess with regards to this stuff. And, you know, I got to tell you guys, I mean, as you know, I'm neither a conservative nor a uh, leftist, but it is kind of frustrating because I'm trying to get good information as I always am for this kind of stuff. But the problem is, well, one of the problems is that this disease has become so politicized that it's really hard to get good information. Of course, the Democrats in the U.S. are saying, you know, it's the worst thing ever and uh, it's a disaster and Trump is getting people killed and nobody should be happy and all that. And that's one one way that they, they try and deal with it. The other is uh, on, on the right, they're saying, you know, Trump is a genius and, and he handled it perfectly. And, and so it's just become a jockeying position for November, right? The, the Democrats saying it's terrible and Trump is at fault and the, the Republicans saying... Um, it's not as bad as people think and so on. So it is really tough. Uh, it is really tough to figure out what the truth is with regards to this stuff. Now, <laughs> what we do know, of course, is that um, uh, what we do know is that money, money spending is like the, the fire hose of money. Right, because the government hasn't saved any money, they have to then create money to deal with these kinds of issues, and because there's been so much bailout of bad decisions of since the welfare state started in the 1960s. There's been so many bailouts of bad decisions from single mothers to um, banks to other lending institutions to people who get student debt forgiven and so on. There have been so many bailouts of bad decisions that people have stopped saving money. Of course. Of course they have. Why would you bother saving money if the government's going to come bail you out? And so it's one of these vicious cycles, right? That's one of the big, big issues. So leaders of the European Union reached a historic deal Tuesday. Uh, today, today, yeah, 
on an $860 billion recovery fund aimed at the reconstruction of the 27-member bloc. It's absolutely wild. They say, don't worry, new debt from the recovery package is expected to be repaid by 2058. 2058. Almost 40 years from now, right? So, yeah, they're spraying 750 billion euros on their economies. It's amazing to me that the media is more hostile to me than they are to communist China that was instrumental in helping get a virus out into the world that's killed 600,000 plus people. Well, at least they didn't talk about IQ. So that's okay, right? That's okay. But yeah, this amount of um, money spending is just absolutely uh, crazy. And, you know, what else can they possibly do? Because people have this belief now that you just shouldn't suffer. You just shouldn't suffer. And of course, because it's so politicized, the um, the media will simply highlight everyone who's doing badly and then say, well, that's basically Trump and therefore you got to vote for Biden. So it's just, it's just completely mad, completely mad. Um, I'm not, this is kind of technical and it's certainly too technical for me, but I just wanted to read this came out in July. It's just from Nature Medicine. Extra pulmonary manifestations of COVID-19, right? So everyone thinks it's like a breathing issue. And of course it is a lot of times, but it is really, really important, right? So the abstract here says, although COVID-19 is most well known for causing substantial respiratory pathology, it can also result in several extra pulmonary manifestations. These conditions include thrombotic complications, myocardial dysfunction and arrhythmia, acute coronary syndrome, acute kidney injury, gastrointestinal symptoms, uh, hepo, sorry, hepatocellular injury, hyperglycemia and ketosis, neurologic illness, ocular symptoms, and dermatologic complications. And so I just, you know, I'm not I don't want to alarm everyone. Of course, these things are rare, and but but it is just important that this is not something I generally associate with, with the flu, and uh, that is the, this sort of spike protein facilitates entry of the virus into target cells, and those target cells tend to be all over the body. What is alarming to me, you know, obviously, to be perfectly frank, what's alarming to me is that it can come with cognitive issues as well, right? So that can be a big. Uh, a big challenge, right? Because, um, you know, that's the one thing I don't want to lose. You can take just about everything, but don't, please don't diminish my cognitive capacity. That would be, uh, um, that would be a nightmare, a nightmare. Especially if you kind of didn't know it. Um, so uh, just again, touching on this is again too technical for me, but there was something I read here that I thought was worth uh, mentioning which was uh, some of the, you know, the vaccine is a challenge, man. The vaccine is a huge, a huge challenge, right? So there is an urgent need for vaccines to the 2019 coronavirus vaccine development not be, may not be straightforward due to antibody-dependent enhancement. Antibodies against viral surface proteins can, in some cases, increase infection severity by these antibody-dependent enhancements. This phenomenon occurs in SARS-CoV-1, MERS, that's Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, HIV, Zika, and dengue virus infection and vaccination. Lack of high-affinity anti-SARS-CoV-2 
IgG in children may explain the decreased severity of infection in these groups. Here we discuss the evidence for ADE in the context of SARS-CoV-2 infection and how to address this potential translational barrier to vaccine development. So again, I'll put the link below. Um, I made it, I sort of understood about half of it, but uh, it is just important to recognize that it's not going to be an easy thing to, to, um, to come up with a vaccine. And of course, the other issue, one of the other issues, is that um, there does seem to be um, reinfection, right? It's not like um, measles, you know, maybe get measles or smallpox and you're sort of, you're set for life, you're, you're fine for life, right? But um, this reinfection issue, which I think I was talking about back in March, uh, is quite, uh, quite significant. So scientists fear the hunt for a coronavirus vaccine will fail and we'll all have to live with the constant threat of COVID-19. Now this, please understand, this is from, or please understand, I wanted to mention that uh, this is from April 25th. So uh, this is not the most recent, but I wanted to mention here, right? So some scientists fear that an effective coronavirus vaccine may be proven possible to produce. The UK's chief medical officer warned on Friday that there is concerning evidence suggesting that people can be reinfected with the virus. He said, evidence from other forms of coronavirus also suggests that immunity quickly wanes. No vaccine has ever been approved for use against previous forms of coronavirus. And David Nbaro, professor of global health at Imperial College, now I get Imperial College didn't have a huge amount of credibility with some of their models, said the world may have to live with the constant threat of COVID-19. And Given the mutations that have occurred, there's a new one in Hong Kong that appears to be even more um, transmissible and so on. So that is uh, a big a big issue, right? So UK's chief medical officer that uh, it may not be possible to stimulate immunity to the virus. Quote, the first question we do not know is, do you get natural immunity to this disease if you've had it for a prolonged period of time? Now, if you not if you've had it for a prolonged period of time, but do you get natural immunity? If like for a long period of time, he said. Now, if we don't, then it doesn't make a vaccine impossible, but it makes it much less likely, and we simply don't know yet. Um, yeah, no coronavirus vaccine has ever been produced. Now, I mean, whether how that fits into the flu um, shot or whatever, I don't know. So. You know, this idea, immunity passports, uh, if you've previously been infected, well, if you can get reinfected or the virus has mutated or your your um, immunity diminishes over time for reasons that uh, remain unclear, I think, to most people, that's, that's a big question. It's a big, a big question about how that's going to play out. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm just telling you my uh, issue, uh, my particular approach is I'm kind of digging in for the long haul. Uh, I've canceled a bunch of things, and uh, I'm just kind of digging in for the long haul. And I obviously can't give anybody any advice what to do uh, because it's such an unknown area. But I'm just telling you that uh, I'm I'm in it for a while. Uh, I'm in it. I'm going to assume that it's going to be around for for quite a while here. All right. So this is from July 14th. There is some promising stuff with regards to the vac- vaccine, but uh, kind of important to uh, to understand this stuff. So the COVID-19 vaccine trial produces antibodies in everyone tested, the report says. So that's not the worst 
news as a whole. And it says, an initial safety trial of a potential coronavirus vaccine produced antibodies to the deadly disease in everyone who was tested. Whether that means you won't get it, whether that means it's diminished uh, in its effect, we'll see. This uh, just came out recently. The neutralizing antibodies produced by Moderna Inc.'s vaccine were equivalent to the upper half of what's seen in patients who get infected and recover. Meanwhile, the side effects of the vaccine weren't bad enough to halt the testing process. That's not always the best uh, way to, to put it, although I guess you've got to be optimistic where you can. Stimulating the production of antibodies is considered a key milestone in early testing, but doesn't prove a vaccine will be effective. The test results were based on data involving the first 45 people enrolled in the study, all of whom were 18 to 55 years old. Boy, I remember when 55 seemed pretty old. Results from a second portion of the trial that involved older people weren't yet available. Now, they're talking about giving you two big shots in one month, so... Now, more than half of the test subjects who got the middle of three doses suffered mild to moderate fatigue, chills, headache, and muscle pain, while 40% experienced a fever after the second vaccination. Three of 14 patients given the highest dose of the vaccine experienced severe side effects, but that dose is not being used in larger trials. So, Dr. Tony Moody, a researcher at the Duke Human Vaccine Institute, called that, quote, a lot of adverse effects, end quote, but told Bloomberg that antibody levels produced by the vaccine were really encouraging. So, that's... uh, I mean, it's, it's better than COVID, but it's, uh, it's kind of rough. It's kind of rough. Now, here's something that I thought was kind of interesting. I'll, I'll throw this in here uh, for, for you all to discuss amongst yourselves and <laughs> let me know what you think in the comments. But I thought this was quite interesting. Um, people who social distance may be more intelligent, right? It's one of the questions, right? So let's go back to the IQ stuff. Like, why is it that... Uh, some countries seem to be doing better with regards to this stuff relative to, to others, right? A new study in the Proceedings of the Natural, National Academy of Sciences indicate that people who comply with social distancing guidelines have better working memory capacity, which is an indicator of intelligence. So, um, again, I'll put the links to this below. I don't think we need to go much beyond the headline, but it is quite, uh, quite interesting. Now, I was telling you earlier about how we're going to talk about the issue of false positives, right? False positives are very bad, obviously. I mean, you get that. I mean, um, but look here, right? State Lab, this just came out a day ago. State Lab finds 90 positive COVID-19 test results were false. So 90 people who received positive COVID-19 results did not have the virus, according to the State Department of Public Health. The department said the state public health laboratory uncovered a flaw in one of the testing systems it uses to test for SARS-CoV-2, and 90 of the 144 people tested between June 15th and July 17th received a false positive COVID test report. Many are nursing home residents. So that's not uh, particularly good. So state officials said the flaw has been reported to the manufacturer, and the Federal Food and Drug Administration and DPH have taken immediate steps to make sure the patients are notified. According to the State Department of Health, the errant testing results were, quote, from a widely used laboratory testing platform that the state laboratory started using on June 15th. We have notified the healthcare facilities for everyone who received a false positive test result from our laboratory. Dude says, accurate and timely testing, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So that's uh, 
that seems quite significant, uh, to put it mildly. And who knows where else this may have been uh, occurring, right? Who knows? All right, let's go, I guess, across the pond, across the big pond, and uh, look at what's going on with regards to, uh, to Oxford. Quite fascinating. Uh, blah, blah, blah. All right, hang tight, hang tight. What do we got here? Uh, I thought we'd put that in the right spot. Apparently we did not. Oh, that's because I don't have the right copy. Here we go. Look at this. It's like there's a whole team here that's not here. All right. So uh, this is newish. Let's see here. So Oxford University researchers claim positive results from COVID-19 vaccine trials. So your yeah, vaccine was safe and tolerated and all of that. And this is a larger sample size. This is from 1,077 healthy adults. The vaccine, well, I don't need you to be doing that. Hang on a sec here. Are you going to... Uh, <laughs> very helpful. Very helpful. Uh, let's try that again, shall we? Something's going on in the browser. Full text of this paper. All right, I'll just read it. We can do it. We can do it low-tech, old way. Let me just bring that over here. And so, so research published in the journal Lancet claims an experimental vaccine was tested on more than 1,000 people, prompt, uh, prompted a protective immune response 18 to 55. Uh, I think this is different from the last one because the last one had a smaller cohort. So preliminary results from a phase one out of two trial involving 1,077 healthy adults found that the vaccine induced strong antibody and T-cell immune responses up to day 56 of the ongoing trial. So that's, um, that's good. We will see. We will see. Uh, Dr. Hill says, we are seeing good immune response in almost everybody. What this vaccine does particularly well is trigger both arms of the immune system. And so we will see how that how that plays out. And he says no serious adverse reactions occurred. The majority of adverse events reported were mild or moderate in severity and all were self-limiting. So trying to get the full picture is obviously a bit of a challenge, but there are some, some positive news. Now, I really, really do want to remind people of this um, because I was talking about this back in uh, early April when I said uh, it, it was time to reopen and so on, right? So the number of people who are not getting the health care that they need because of the pandemic is pretty significant, right? About 5,000 heart attack sufferers in England missed out on hospital treatment due to the pandemic, right? The number of admissions to hospital with heart attacks fell by 35% at the end of the March, end of March. So this came out 15th of July, about a week ago or so. So... By the end of May, admission rates had partially recovered but remained low, below expected levels. By the end of May, there had been about 5,000 fewer admissions with heart attack in 2020 than would be expected, suggesting that many patients have missed out on life-saving treatment. So that is uh, pretty significant. Uh, and this is the hidden stuff, right? 
unfortunately, we're just dealing with a chronically dumbed down population. And mostly to do with the fact that teachers don't teach the unseen anymore, right? There's the seen and the unseen. So the seen is people dying of COVID. The unseen is all the people who are dying because they can't uh, get the treatments uh, that they need because um, of, of COVID, right? So this was from uh, July. Is that going to play or pause? There we go. There we go. Uh, breast cancer care becomes troubling casualty of COVID-19 pandemic. So as many hospitals and doctor's offices limited patient appointments and surgeries during the coronavirus pandemic, a concerning side effect of the shutdown began to emerge. With fewer screening exams, patient visits, and surgical procedures, breast cancer care took a frightening hit. Regular breast cancer screening saved lives, but early in the epidemic, in the pandemic, saw the American Cancer Society recommended that doctors postpone any routine breast cancer screenings or intervention to protect at-risk patients from potential exposure or illness. And so it's going to take a long time to figure that stuff out, uh, if indeed it ever does get figured out. But that's what the media is not, uh, is not providing. Uh, that is the information the media is not providing. Look at that. I'm lagging again. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, all right. Multi-thousand dollar PC, but, uh, you know, has trouble with video on a webcam. Ah, Windows, you playful bitch. All right. So, boy, I won't spend too much time on this. I'll maybe do another show on this. But um, this, uh, whew, the amount of money, again, it's absolutely staggering, right? And again, it's because people, we, we can't suffer. Nobody can say, oh, I should have saved more money. Or, you know, we shouldn't have let China into the World Trade Organization, or we should have shut down the border earlier, or, you know, those of us who've been saying for many years, A, we need borders, and B, China is dangerous, have been tragically proven right, to the tune of hundreds of thousands of lives. But uh, this is um, from Bloomberg, America's leaders face an urgent set of decisions on whether to extend history's biggest rescue effort or let parts of it lap. lap sorry. The government approved more than $2 trillion of extra spending after the coronavirus brought swaths of industry and commerce to a sudden halt. Now, that uh, is not, it's not true. Uh, that's really, really important to understand. That, it's not coronavirus that did that at all. It was, it was government choice. It was government policies and all of that, right? That is why. Why, <laughs> why a system interrupts being used so much? Anyway, but yeah, it was not the coronavirus this I, government sort of want to say well because of coronavirus this happened it's like well these are all choices sweden didn't do a major lockdown and sweden seems to be doing all right which was contrary to my expectations to be obviously perfectly frank but um so the government approved more than two trillion dollars of extra spending after the coronavirus brought swaths of industry and commerce to a sudden halt some measures targeted those who took the biggest hit like the unemployed and small business owners others were across the board reaching every corner of the economy but these programs are due to run out in the coming weeks and months. Each expiration date will test the still fragile U.S. recovery unless policymakers opt to keep crisis supports in place. Now again, this, oh, so the end of the relief here, right? So July 24th, July 24th, three days from now, right? Last day of eviction moratorium for federally insured multifamily homes. 22.6 million households in July have little confidence they can pay next month's rent. Late July, final payments of an additional $600 a week, federal unemployment insurance, 
They dispersed $116 billion in June. Uh, early, early August, Congress is due to recess, uh, which is the last chance to pass benefit extensions. August 8th, deadline for small businesses to apply for PPP loans. September 30th, end of payroll support for airlines, end of freeze on student loan payments. December 31st, deadline for companies to seek payroll tax deferral and apply for employee retention tax credit. So this is uh, very big. Now look at look at this chart, right? I was absolutely mad, right? Unemployment benefits a share of personal income. Look at what happened, uh, you know, of course, at the beginning of 2020. It just goes from, from I guess, a high of 1% or whatever down in, at the end of 2009 uh, to over 6% now. Um, completely crazy. Unemployment is still at levels not seen since the Great Depression. The Treasury has been dispersing the benefits at a record pace of about $100 billion a month since May. Republicans are concerned that the payments could deter people from resuming their jobs and want some of the stimulus channeled into a back-to-work bonus instead. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, we know this, right? We, we've seen this before. It was out in California where they uh, ended welfare and people just went back to work. Happened in Canada here as well. Government handed $25 billion in payroll support to America's <clears throat> passenger airlines to help them retain staff through the end of September. Now, with regards to, I don't know how you guys feel about travel or what's happening with you and travel, but it's... Um, you know, it's hard, hard to imagine any of this is going to go back to the way it was, at least for the foreseeable future. And by that, I mean the next couple of years. Because here's the thing. It's not so much, I mean, the plane with its recycled air is not great. It is um, going out. Do you have to quarantine when you get there? Well, that makes trips kind of useless, right? Sitting there staring at a hotel TV for two weeks is not anyone's idea of a fun way to spend time in Athens. And then do you have to quarantine when you get back, right? So then you're talking about a month. Right, two weeks there, two weeks back. That's a month of inactivity, which is I mean, it's pretty rough for people. And the other thing too, though, is that can you get insurance for a coronavirus hit when you're overseas? That's another big question. And the other thing too is a lot of people, like let's say you want to go to I don't know Austria or something like that. Well, it's kind of rough because if you go out there, let's say you don't have to quarantine or you're willing to do it or whatever. But then the problem becomes, what if you do get sick out there? Even if your costs are covered, you then have to try and figure out how you're going to navigate a potential healthcare situation in a foreign country, perhaps another language. These are all big issues. I mean, the idea of getting sick in some other country uh, where you may not speak the language, um, where you know maybe you got to front the cost and get it back later from the insurance company. I don't know how that works or whatever, but this travel stuff is is pretty rough. It's kind of like how... There's a significant portion of American workers or workers throughout the West or throughout the world, I suppose, they're not going back to offices. They've, they've got themselves comfortably ensconced uh, at home, and they are all set up. The security is all set up. Everything's chugging along nicely, and they're not going back. And that means that there's going to be a huge glut of office space, right? As people just they don't renew leases, they break their leases, they're not going back, right? And when you get that kind of glut in office space, you know, if, if you have a free market, then that means that office space becomes cheaper and that encourages more people to start up businesses. But because you have to um, keep the value of real estate up because of the creepy, crappy financial system we have, it's really bad because then they have to keep propping all this stuff up and um, very, 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 very bad. Our TSA furloughed are the groping one another. 
Yeah. 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 It is. Uh, it is a big question. Now, here's something from Bitcoin.com, which uh, I think we'll close with one or two more of these things. Um, and uh, I really do appreciate you guys dropping by tonight. I hope this stuff is helpful. And um, I mean, I'm reading it anyway, so I might as well share my thoughts with regards to this. But, um, yeah, the data shows, see, this is the thing, too. They're going to blame the U.S. economy crap on COVID, but uh, that's not, that's actually not, uh, it's not fair. It's not, it's not valid. The um, U.S. economy, and I talked about this with Peter Schiff repeatedly uh, over the last couple of years, uh, the U.S. economy, uh, the data shows the U.S. economy was collapsing five months before the coronavirus outbreak. So during the last two months, the global economy has shuddered and a great number of people still attribute, still attribute the financial meltdown to the COVID-19 outbreak. However, during the last two weeks, the blame has shifted as many citizens are now blaming the government lockdowns, overly predictive models and industry shutdowns. Moreover, a recently published report notes that the financial crisis in America started how many months? Five months before COVID-19's first death report in the United States. So... The Fed's monetary easing schemes and Wall Street's secret deals started well before COVID-19. Governments worldwide, without a vote or discussion, shut down major industries and severe cracks in the supply chain are beginning to show. Yeah, a lot of sailors stuck at sea, a lot of ships stuck in ports. Uh, it's really not good. Um, on May 1st, financial columnists Pam Martins and Russ Martins explained in a report that the economic carnage started five months before the COVID-19 virus started to scare the population. For instance, Martin's detail that the first death in China was reported on January 11th, 2020, but the signs of an economic meltdown started on September 17th, 2019. In fact, the Federal Reserve gave primary dealers a whopping $6.6 trillion before the first death from COVID-19 was reported in America, right? So the first signal that started showing signs of cracks in the U.S. monetary system was on September 17th. Quote, the New York Fed announced, announces it is intervening in the repo loan market. Repo, these like 24-hour loans. Repo loan market for the first time since the Wall Street crash of 2007 to 2010. The Fed will provide a maximum of $75 billion per day to 24 Wall Street trading houses, primary dealers, with a cap of $40 billion going to any one firm. This large cap suggests the New York Fed knows that one or more specific firms are in trouble. Three days later, on September 20th, the Fed again said the repo market would continue and also added an extra $30 billion to some 14-day repo contracts. By this point, market strategies and U.S. economists knew something was wrong. Then on October 1st, 2019, J.P. Morgan reduced its cash on deposit with the Fed and reduced holdings by 57%. Three days later, the New York Fed decided to add an additional $75 billion towards specific overnight repo schemes. The $30 billion 14-day Plans were increased to $45 billion, and they even created a six-day lend as well. By October 11th, Martin's research shows that the Fed would continue the repo schemes, and it would also buy billions worth of American Treasury bonds as well. A week later, the rules were changed again, and the $75 billion repo contracts were increased to $120 billion. It's just, you understand, it's all just socialism for the rich, the 1%, the well-connected, while well, the 1% of the 1%. By November 9th, 2019, a large swath of central banks worldwide started following the Fed's excessive money creation schemes. The first week of November had shown that more than 37 modern central banks were participating in stimulus and easing practices. By December 2019, politicians and Wall Street CEOs were showing a number of signs that something was amiss. This is interesting as well. 
2019 saw a record number of CEO resignations and a slew of large corporation, corporate leaders abruptly stepped down. It was like 219 in January. There was like 1,300 uh, in, in uh, late 2019. There's a lot of people just kind of bailing out. And, and some of that's the Me Too movement and unwise sexual relationships with employees and so on and all of that. But uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. $6.6 trillion was injected into the hands of the Fed's private dealers before the first U.S. reported COVID-19 death. And that's pretty wild, right? So by the end of January, there, would, like, there were no coronavirus deaths in January. First COVID-19 death reported in America was on February 29th, 2020. 2019 saw a record 1,300 top executives step down. January 2020, a record number of CEO resignations, 240 in a one-month period. The list of noteworthy CEOs who stepped down is quite exhaustive. It includes people like Hulu's Randy Freer, MasterCard's Ajay Banga, IBM's Ginny Rometty, T-Mobile's John Laguerre, Harley-Davidson's Matt Levatich, and LinkedIn's Jeff Wiener, and so on, right? That is, and, and 2019 was one of the best years for Wall Street traders because stocks, of course, went pretty high. And the elite's wealth grew. So the fact that there'd be all of these resignations, a lot of them pretty sudden or with very little warning, a lot of these resignations at a time when companies are doing pretty well, like you can understand res uh, some resignations when a company's doing badly, but it's doing pretty pretty well. So that's very, very uh, unusual, right? So again, I'll put uh, all of this uh, in, but... Um, yeah, they, you, you get the crumbs and, and they get the feast, right? And so uh, they're going to try and blame all this stuff on COVID, but it is important to remember that it ain't just uh, it ain't just COVID at all. And the cracks in the U.S. economy, I mean, they've been around for a long time. There was, of course, the goal, which Trump had prior to COVID, that you could find a way to grow your way out of this really bad economy uh, and all of that. But... Um, doesn't really um it's not going to happen now right i mean he can't even hang on to his payroll he's probably not going to be able to hang on to his payroll tax request right so again bitcoin.com evidence shows politicians and wall street ceos expected the market crash well before covid19 the coronavirus outbreak has sent shockwaves through the world economy this has caused politicians and central bankers to react in various ways however global market leaders wall street ceos and hedge fund managers had one of the best years in more than a decade since the 08 financial crisis in fact, evidence shows that the bureaucracy and the modern banking cartel knew a crash was on the horizon as the COVID-19 crisis was simply the pin that popped the balloon. And that's, again, something that um, Peter Schiff has talked about a lot, that, um, you know, if the balloon's overinflating and a pin comes along. You can't really blame the pin uh, because it was going to break, uh, break anyway, right? Towards the end of 2019, market players and Wall Street's top CEOs discussed whether or not the U.S. was facing a recession in 2020. And this was after the stock market, S&P 500 and Dow Jones Industrial Average broke records last year. A few months before the coronavirus started spreading wildly, central banks like the Fed, Federal Reserve, were already slashing rates and funneling billions into the hands of private banks. It's almost as if the elites knew the bubble would pop in 2020 as bonds were manipulated by banks and stocks were massively overvalued. In fact, a majority of bankers predicted that 2020 would suffer from a really bad recession that could be worse than the last economic fallout, right? Because we all, like those of us who, you know, if you've been following this show or other people, other people, everybody knows that the 08, 07, 08 financial 
crash was just wallpapered over with money and none of the fundamental issues were solved. They were just postponing it and and making it worse. And um, when 2020 started, the smoke signals were everywhere as hedge fund managers and strategists warned that the stock market was extremely overvalued. On January 14th, financial experts reported on how the stock market had never been this big relative to the economy. So that's right. Such elevated valuations in past periods have weighed on equity returns over the subsequent five years and lowered the odds of positive outcomes, right? So yeah, the more you jack up the stocks. Uh, well, of course, then a lot of money is going to the wrong people um, and you're getting misallocation of resources and so on. And uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty rough, right? Uh, analysts cautioned retail investors about how far apart Wall Street trading and the real world economy really is compared to the hyped up news headlines. Markets today are made up of algorithms, futures, options, high-frequency trading, and passive funds, and there's a whopping $532 trillion in global derivatives markets. Most of the time, stock market derivatives are not even traded by real people, as estimates note that 75% of all trades are computer-driven. Oh, that stuff's so nuts that there are people who've built their own data lines or moved closer to have a like millisecond advantage on other traders. It's really quite mad. Anyway, we can get into, uh, again, I'll put all of this stuff um, in, in the show notes, but I did really want to uh, mention that. Uh, yeah, if you've got people you want to suggest on the show, that would, be, uh, that, would be, uh, that would be great. So the economic ramifications of COVID-19. Well, uh, well, we'll start off with a short rant about that, and then we'll close things off for the evening. And it's really, again, thanks again so much for dropping by tonight. Uh, it's always a great pleasure to chat with you guys. Let me just turn this dude off i meet you right over here in the middle by the logo so um covid economic effects it's killing people's entrepreneurial spirit because entrepreneurs don't know what the plan is they don't know whether they can open how long they can stay open when they have to close what standards are going to be available and so it's really stressful. Uncertainty is the greatest stressor. Once the Band-Aid is off, if, like, if they say, well, we're going to close the economy for six months, you can do your math and figure out if you want to hold out that long. But this start and stop and start and stop, it's really the worst thing that you could possibly do because people can't make any plans for anything. And this is because we have lost the capacity for suffering largely as we've lost Christianity because uh, Christianity and suffering had a purpose of spiritual purity. And there are, other, of course, other religions and belief systems wherein suffering is a part of of life and should be not run from at every conceivable opportunity, but we've become very spoiled, very decadent, very lazy, and very fragile, and so we don't want to see that kind of suffering. We don't want to see people lose their homes and have to move in with their parents. We don't want to see um, a sudden tear-through of this China virus through the population. We, we just don't want to see that. And so because of that, uh, we just grab a any amount of debt and money and printing and creation and all of that that we can, which is, I mean, this is accelerationism, which I've, I've toyed with the idea, right? Is it better for Biden or Trump to get in in November? You could make a case either way, for sure, right? So the COVID has moved forward the accelerationism because it's killing job creation. It's killing entrepreneurial drive. It's killing availability of resources. It's going to be driving inflation, of course, as we know. Going forward, it's killing the commercial real estate 
market. And because of that, right, you kill the commercial real estate market, people have to revalue their real estate holdings in the commercial space. It's, you know, being held off from killing the domestic real estate market, like the homes market, simply because people aren't allowed to be ev evicted, and they're being paid to sort of stay in place to tread water. So the real estate is is the big Achilles heel of the modern economy, right? Um, real estate values are what are given to you in return for diminishing economic and political freedoms, right? That, that's the ATM, right? So if you look at the policies of governments over the last couple of decades, so much of it has been centered around the need to desperately keep real estate values high to maintain the baby boomer vote and all of that, right? So they feel like they're wealthy and doing well. And it's terrible. It's absolutely uh, terrible. It's just another reason why mass immigration is pursued, because it keeps the value of real estate high uh, and so on, right? So if real estate is allowed to fall, which it would, and that would be great. It would be great if real estate values were allowed to fall. You get more entrepreneurs going into commercial real estate. You get more people able to start families when they're younger because they can afford houses and, and so on, right? And then if, you know, people like me sort of get their voice across, which has become increasingly difficult lately, then what happens is um, women will stay home with the kids, which drives up male wages because there's fewer workers in the workforce and so on. And so you get better wages, you get lower housing prices, you can have more kids, and, you know, that's how you sustain your civilization, which, of course, a lot of people don't want to do or want to do the exact opposite of that at the moment. So this crippling addiction to ever-raising prices of real estate is really the source and cause of just an extraordinary amount of economic and cultural and demographic catastrophe, but it is a kind of drug that has just hung on for so long. If people can't afford their places, they'll start doubling up, they move back in with their parents, which opens up a lot of real estate, causes the value to crash in, in both domestic and then, of course, in commercial markets, people are staying home and businesses aren't going to want to get into big, expensive, complicated leases because they don't know when the next shutdown might be occurring. You get some sudden spike and everyone's like, God, let's stop the economy again. So we're in a stable and decaying orbit when it comes to the economy as a whole. If real estate prices begin to go down, well, we saw what happened, of course, in the past with this, when they got a whole bunch of people who couldn't afford their homes into, for politically correct reasons, into homes. And, well, we all know what a ripple effect that has, right? As soon as real estate values, whether commercial or personal begin to go down, then the banks have to start calling in loans. Uh, they, uh, the, the, their book value, the, the value of their assets declines considerably. And sometimes it's many, many multiples, like 20, 30 to 1, that they have to start calling in loans and um, they have to claw back on their lending and all of that. So uh, it's uh, really a big, big ripple effect. And they dodged it last time by wallpapering it over with the uh, tarp and all of that. Will they actually wallpaper over that now or will there be a way of communicating to people that a house is a depreciating asset you, you should not be making money from your house a house should not be an investment investment should be investments in worker productivity which is a real source of wealth investments should be in growing companies and building jobs it should not be 
in a house. A house is like a car. It's a depreciating asset and should not be a source of wealth, but um, it's just a way that people who've lost a lot of freedoms, at least their house got turned into a kind of an ATM at the expense of the continuation of their civilization as a whole. So, all right. Well, listen, I really, really appreciate you guys dropping by. Please, if you find this helpful, uh, share stuff. It's kind of important now without uh, Twitter, without YouTube. If you guys could do your bit to share uh, what it is that I do, you can find it on BitChute. You can find it on LBRY or Library. You can go to um, freedomain.com forward slash connect. Also, go to freedomain.com forward slash newsletter to sign up for the newsletter. Probably a good thing to do because... Who knows what what could happen next, right? But uh, I really do appreciate you guys dropping by tonight. Thank you for all of your comments and questions. It is um, a really uh, great pleasure to chat with you guys. Uh, Lots of love from up here. Uh, Stay safe. And I hope that you are adjusting your life for at least I'm adjusting my life for the long haul. And I hope that you will at least consider that. So uh, take care. Thanks everyone for dropping by tonight. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.